Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast One Year Anniversary Show. First off, I'd like to thank all the guests, listeners, and supporters for making this all possible. We are celebrating with a brand new logo and the start of a Patreon page. If you would like to become a patron of this podcast by contributing $1, $2, or whatever a month to continue bringing you great guests, keeping all the content free, helping with equipment costs, hosting fees, etc., please visit Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Every little bit helps, and thanks in advance. Also, any episodes you may have missed are available for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, etc. Looking forward to many more years of bringing you the stories of your favorite musical artists as told by them. Happy Thought of the Day is by Chuck Berry. Don't let the same dog bite you twice. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 52. Last week's gigs wrap up. Wednesday, I played a canine inspired change show at Sociable Ciderworks in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I never realized how tricky it was playing a lead guitar solo with a golden retriever strapped to your belt loop. Later that night, I played a show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Had this big table behind me rocking out, having a great time to find out afterwards that they are just coming from their father's funeral and the show helped them through the evening. So that's kind of when it's all worth it. Also, a big congratulations to my friend Jim. I'm getting his captain's license for Delta. Friday, I played a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Always a good time and good to see the number one Minnesota music fan, Scott Zeman out there. And have a great season, the 2016 Liberty Lions basketball team. Saturday, Mr. Brian K. Johnson, Brian Ricochet Leger, and myself rocked out at the DN Campground in beautiful Balsam Lake, Wisconsin. It was a wall-to-wall packed awesome party. And a big shout-out and thanks to our fan Pete for putting on a pro wrestling how-to-juice seminar after our show. Boom. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, October 12th, 2016. I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 8 to 10 p.m. Thursday, October 13th, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rocking out at the Turtle Creek Glen in Clayton, Wisconsin from 6 to 9 p.m. Friday, October 14th, I'll be playing a solo show at Nova in Hudson, Wisconsin from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. Saturday, October 15th, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rocking out at Vanelli's by the Lake from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Guest this week is part two of two with Minnesota drum extraordinaire Ben Kaplan. We discuss running sound for Albert Collins, the Flamin' O's, performing with Chuck Berry, etc. Enjoy the conversation. Mr. Ben Kaplan. Hey, Mark. Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, part two with Mr. Ben Kaplan. And this is a huge episode. This marks episode 52, the one-year anniversary after I started this. Wow. What an honor. That's cool, man. No, it's been just a ton of fun. Glad to have you on. 
and I was just about to ask Ben a question that I'd totally forgotten about. Um, so, Ben, when you used to run, and then we'll get to the Flaming O's and Chuck Berry and stuff, but when you used to run sound, I even forget where it's at, you said there was this blues guy that you'd run sound for, and he was so loud on stage that, that you took him out of all the mains, all the monitors, because the band, like, said you should... Or what was that? What's that? And it was unbelievably loud. Okay. Uh, actually, I had him in the mains, which I was pretty proud of. This was Albert Collins. I ain't drunk. I'm just drinking. But you're so high. I ain't drunk. I done told y'all I ain't drunk, man. Why y'all doing that? But you're so high. <laughs> I just had it fun, man. It was Albert Collins. Albert That's Collins. What I it was. And this is another one of those, you know, you, ice you, picking. Uh, Right. I have ice my phone ice everything with, with him, but, you know. Nice fella? He, actually, he was really nice. Really? Yeah, it was a, so many funny things happened just because of these connections. I got to run sound for Albert Collins because I was running sound for the Flamin' O's. And this was, for anybody who remembers the Union Bar, that was a big place for a long time. And Albert Collins played their pretty often. In fact, there's a live album, I think. I want to say it's called Frozen Alive, but I'm not sure. That was recorded at the Union Bar. I have to look that up. Early, probably recorded there in the early 80s. I think maybe Paul Stark recorded it. He had a mobile unit. But Albert Collins was booked to play the Union Bar for a weekend. And the guy who owned the bar, it was family-owned, but one of the guys was the main guy who really handled the stuff, had forgotten to hire PA. He had forgotten to hire PA and lights for this show. And... He was out of town on vacation. So it's a Friday night, and I get a call from the guy who was handling all the business for the Flamin' O's at that time, a guy named John Pete, who, he had been a big deal in radio here in the um, late 70s, early 80s. He was, you know, when KQ was in its progressive heyday, he was one of the big jocks. I get this call on Friday at like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, how soon can you be at the Union Bar? They had forgotten to hire PA, and the Flamin' O's played there pretty regularly, and the one band that they could think of that had a big enough PA that they owned to provide sound for the, for the night was the Flamin' O's. And the O's were booked on Saturday, but not on Friday, so we could only do it for the one night. And essentially what they did was they, it was like they were hiring the band, except the band didn't play. All they really needed was the gear, the PA and the lights. So we got down there, set up as fast as we could, got the PA up, got the lights up. The band's setting up, they're moving stuff all over the stage. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out where do I need microphones. And it was pretty obvious that the guy who was really running the band was the keyboard player. 
who they also, I think they might have used Joseph, Joseph Barron from the O's. I think they might have used his keyboard for the gig. So he starts pointing around the stage. He says, okay, well, you know, you got drum set over there. That's four-piece drum set. The bass, that can go direct. You got two horns over there. And we'll take the keyboards direct. And then you'll need one microphone out front for the vocal. And I said, well, you know, and a mic on Albert's amp. And he comes up to me real close, talking quiet like he's telling me a big secret. And I can't really use the word that he used. If Maybe I can. He says, loud as that motherfucker, please. You're not going to need no microphone on his amplifier. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to put a microphone there anyway. And Was he kidding? He wa- well, he was really loud. And if you, if you listen to Albert Collins and you think about the sound that he got, that's what it is. It, it's, it wasn't a small... Today, somebody would probably use a really small amplifier and overdrive it like that. He wasn't using big like a heavy metal band. It wasn't a Marshall stack. He had... My friend Dan Neal would know if I'm right about this. Love Dan Neal. Yep. I believe what he had was called a Super 6. It was a Fender amplifier, Silver Face Fender amplifier that was, I believe, like the power section of a twin reverb, which is always too loud for everything. But it had, I want to say, six 10-inch speakers in it. And at the end of the night when we were packing up, I looked at his amp. And apparently the way that he adjusted it was just to roll his palm across the knobs because everything was on 10. So that was, that was the sound of Albert Collins's Telecaster, was just everything on 10. And, of course, these are the days when it wasn't common for people to go wireless. So one of his sort of gimmicks was he had a 100-foot guitar cord, and he would walk out into the crowd. He could walk through the whole bar, walk back to the bar, and like that. So that was probably cutting the signal down a little bit because of all the capacitance in the cord. But they were actually they were really nice. I can remember it's those weird things you remember. There a, was a bar in Baltimore called No Fish Today that had a lot of the bigger local bands played there and some of the larger national excuse me, national bands that weren't big enough for concert halls, they were still playing bars which was true of a lot of blues type bands played there like I know George Thorogood and the Destroyers played there before they got big And Albert Collins used to play there. Doesn't exist anymore. There, there was a fire. But I was wearing, I used to play there when I lived in Baltimore, and I happened to be wearing a T-shirt from No Fish Today. And Albert Collins looked at me and he went, oh, No Fish Today, that was a great place. It's too bad it burned down. So 
we weren't able to do the second night, which they said they were sorry about that because they liked the sound, and he probably liked that I actually had his guitar in the mix. But yeah, he was that loud. Wow. That's a great story. I love Albert Collins. Oh, yeah. That's an awesome story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about a band that's there? They have a star on the first Ave Hall of Fame, the Flamin' O's. Um, can you tell us a little bit about working with those guys, your little bit of history with them? I remember Romance. It's got to be one of my favorite songs. It's a great song, and that album is a great album. They've made a lot of really good records. Um, first, I have to say, I'm really a fan. I really, really like the band, and I didn't know that much about them when I started working with them because I wasn't from here, and I didn't live here when they started to get really popular, which was, believe me, being around people from that era... I got a total education about this period, and people talked about the Longhorn Bar, which was kind of, from what I understand, it was sort of like CBGB to New York, to New York was the Longhorn here. When Hugo from the suburbs was on the podcast, yep. he talked about the Longhorn all the time. Wasn't the Flamingos originally the Flamingos? They were originally Flamingo. Well... Originally, in a slightly different incarnation, they were called Prodigy. And I don't know if there was any personnel change when it went from being Prodigy to being Flamingo. It was basically the same band. But yeah, Flamingo, and they put out one EP as Flamingo. And that was Robert Wilkinson and Johnny Ray both playing guitar and Jody Ray on bass, and Bob Mead on drums, and Joseph Barrand on keyboards. And then they made an album. Uh, John Pete, who I mentioned before, was the producer of it. And actually, you know, it's, he probably doesn't put it on his resume. It's not a big deal to him. But David Rivkin, who became known as David Z, he went on to work with Prince, few other little people like that you know wow. he, he was he was the guy who engineered the early print stuff he worked with um hmm, fine young cannibals on the records that were big hits for them I haven't heard that band name in a long time. Uh, yeah, well, um, but David David Rivkin engineered that first album, which they recorded in the Orpheum Theater, not with an audience. They just rented the theater in a mobile truck and recorded it there. And then he produced their second album, and they recorded it at a place called Sound 80, which was the big, that was the state-of-the-art place in town at the time. And this is all before I lived here, you know. And I heard a little bit, I can remember hearing I Remember Romance on uh, KBEM, the jazz station, 
used to have on Saturday nights. They played, they had a rock music show. I remember hearing it and thinking it was really cool. I got involved with them through Gary Snow, who left the band that I was in, joined the Flame and O's on bass. They were looking for a sound man. The guy who had been running sound for them, who was a guy named Dave Ward, he was known as Monty, was leaving to go work for a bigger company. And Gary knew that I could run sound. So he basically just introduced me as being, this is going to be our new sound man. <laughs> and whatever, you know, if somebody asked me if I knew how to do it, I just said yes and figured I'd figure it out. So I wound up running sound for him. And I did that for eh, about two years. And during that time, they made a couple of albums for Blackberry Way Records at Blackberry Way Studios, which got me my connection to them. And shortly after I stopped running sound for them, Joseph, the keyboard player, quit for... Well, nobody can ask him now. Um, and another guy who's now has been a very good friend of mine for years, and in fact, I'm working with him on a recording project. Bob Burns took over on keyboards, and he's their keyboard player to this day. Um, I think the Blackberry Way albums that they did are probably underrated because they didn't make the big splash of the first two. I mean, the first two, they were. this was the beginning of MTV, and they had very, very high-quality videos. Um, local guy named Chuck Statler did videos for I Remember Romance and for Stop. was the single off the second album and Chuck Statler was working with Devo and with Rockpile and Nick Lowe and people like that. So, you know, it was pretty big time stuff. When I was working with them, not so big time. We traveled throughout the region and I had a lot of fun. And the people who are still around are still friends of mine. Yeah. So, Didn't you perform with them too? Um... I did play, uh, you know, not in any way that I would really count. I played essentially a weekend with them because Bob Mead had been in a car accident and the gigs were booked and Bob couldn't do them. And I knew the stuff because I stood out there mixing them. So I, you know, I did play with them. And then I played with, when the band broke up because they broke up for a while and then you know, they started doing reunions, and then they just said, well, we're back together. They put out an album. Jeez, this is back when I was playing with you. Because huh. we, we played that, uh, it was an outdoor thing. In Hudson. In Hudson. It started raining while we were playing. Of course. You know, before us was uh, Melvin James, Planet Melvin. Yes. Who was in the Crash Street Kids that Gary Snow had been in. So there's wow. another connection. Um, but right around that time, which I can't remember how many years ago, it's got to be 10, 12 years ago, maybe, 10 years, 8 years. I'd say around 8, because yeah. that would be while we're, our first CD, uh, the first CD with you 
with the Whiskey Roses at 06. Okay. So it's been 08, 09, somewhere in there. Yeah, so it was somewhere in there. They had just put an album out then that's quite good called Long Live the King. And they put an album out about a year ago that, again, it's really good. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't deny Robert as a writer. He's always stuck to what he likes. You know, there's not, not that there's not a progression, not that he hasn't grown, but you can tell it's the same guy. He's, he's, he's really true to what he likes, which I think is great. You can tell that he was a huge Rolling Stones fan. You know, his guitar playing is obviously in, kind of in the mode of Keith Richards or yep. Keith Richards doing Chuck Berry, you know, more like it. Um, and Robert knows that. You know, he's, he's proud of that, I think, that this is what I do. And he does it really well. You can tell there's a lot of conviction there. And yes, I did play. When the O's broke up, Robert still wanted to play. So the three guys who were still interested, Robert, Gary Snow, and Bob Burns, were going to put together another band. And they asked me to play drums. So I did that for really a long time, nine years. Wow. Um, that's, an, that's an interesting story. Who was the headliner on that outdoor thing we did? Was that Tommy Two-Tone? Tommy Two-Tone. Okay, Ben, um, you're a legend in many respects around here for a variety of things. Yeah, just go down to the such post as, office. <laughs> such as a coffee aficionado, a sock aficionado with your crazy socks, mm. a music aficionado. I've learned more about old blues players from you than anybody Number one off the list would be Hound Dog Taylor, mm. the six-fingered slide guy that played off those cheap Japanese guitars. I remember driving to Moondance or one of those festivals we played, cranking that yellow CD, um, Hound Dog Taylor. I forget the name of the record. Yeah. I have it on my I phone. I think it's I just called it. Hound Dog Taylor and the House and Rockers. The House Rockers? Yep. No, I think it's the second one. Is the yellow one. What I, it's the one that has See You in the Evening on it. One of my faves. Oh, my God, that's a good song. And take five. Take five, baby. Take five. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like every song is really based on some other song that you know. But, oh, I know. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> What's that favorite? What's the Elmore James one? Uh, uh, oh, um. It's so it's Shake Your Money Maker. Okay, so. Roll her money maker. You know, it's... That's the way to do her there, Ben. It, it's the blues process, the folk <laughs> process. Okay, anyway, so you'll be proud of what I listened to on the way here, though. I am huge into 70s Chuck Berry. I'm talking, he's an album called... Uh, back home, mm. Tulane on it, and and uh, fish and chips. Another <laughs> silly song. It is such an awesome record. It's got a great harmonica guy in it, and another one you like. It's called in the '70s, called Chuck Berry 
Chuck Berry, where he takes versions of these classic songs like like You Are My Sunshine and, so, mm. and just, you know, dirties them up and you know, innuendos lyrics. But it is amazing. So, so I was getting to one thing you are known for, and I just saw this across Facebook, and I saved the photos on my, just so I had them, was your infamous night backing Chuck Berry. It's true. Go, go! Please, can you please tell us that story in a few minutes here as we wind down yep. uh, the second podcast? I'll, I'll try not to for be... My, for my anniversary, for my one-year anniversary running this podcast, all I want is that Chuck Berry story. All right. Well, anybody who's seen the Chuck Berry movie, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, or read anything about this sort of experience, my story is pretty much the same as everybody else's. Um, but... I had the pleasure of living it, and we were lucky because he was in a really good mood. I think he had just won a lawsuit. Um, somebody had rewritten, thinly rewritten one of his songs to try to use it in a commercial without his permission. And he had sued over it, and he won. Uh, the way that it came about, there used to be a festival that they held on Harriet Island in St. Paul called Riverfest. This turned out to be the last year of the festival, not because we played it with Chuck Berry. Um, and what happened was on the final night, the act that was booked to headline was Daryl Hall and John Oates. And about a week before the show, they canceled. The story was their entire band had walked out on them on tour. And you can make what you want out of that. I've heard some stories that would let you understand why. He didn't invite him on Daryl's house? Uh, this was before Daryl's house. So at the time, I was playing with Robert Wilkinson. The band was called the Robert Wilkinson Band. And Robert knew he had some connections to uh, the guy's name is Randy Levy, Rose Productions, that was doing the booking for the thing. And he, Robert, that is, heard that they were getting Chuck Berry as the last-minute replacement for Hall and & Oates. And he called, I mean, this is like in the Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll movie, Bruce Springsteen saying, and we said to the promoter, don't get one of the local bands, let us back them up. So Robert calls Randy Levy and says, have you got a band yet? Don't get another band, let us back them up. Robert calls me at work, I was working in a frame shop at the time, and says... I'm waiting for a call back, but we might be backing up Chuck Berry on Saturdays. I think it was a Saturday night, pretty sure. And I hung up the phone, and I was, like, dumbfounded that this could happen. And I said out loud what was going on, and my friend Rob, who is a great guitar player, who worked in the shop, when I told him, he said, well, does Robert know he won't get to play? And I said, what do you mean? He says, oh, this happened to friends of mine in Chicago. The band was the such-and-such -such band, and... The guy who was the band leader was a guitar player, and they took a gig to back Chuck Berry, but he won't allow any other guitar players on stage. Um, so it wound up being his band, but he couldn't play. And that's the way it played out, was Bob Burns and Gary Snow and I were going to back up Chuck Berry. Now, we've all seen the movie. We know that he's known for, he shows up at the last minute, he walks on stage, he doesn't tell you anything. And... Just to make us a little more nervous, if the show was at 8 o'clock at night 
they wanted us to be there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, or something absurd like that. You get there. Like back on our old fine line days. Yeah, you move your stuff in. They have union stage crew. They, you set everything up. They get you on stage, and then you sit around. And while you sit around, the guy who's the stage manager who's done umpteen Chuck Berry shows starts telling you horror stories about everything that's happened on these other shows. Oh, yeah, when he was at the State Fair, he turned around and saw the bass player um, motioning the monitor guy to get more bass in the, in the monitors. And he walked back and he unplugged him. And, you know, he said, if I see you doing that one more time, I'm kicking you off the stage right now. You, you just hear one horror story after another. Now, the stage guy, stage manager was pretty happy because one of the things with Chuck Berry is he's got this rider in his contract. He's got a long rider. You have to hire equipment for him, and it's got to be exactly what he asked for. And this stuff is, we're talking 1990. He's asking for stuff that they stopped making in 1975. And it's got to be exactly what he wants. And he's got all kinds of other things in there, and anything that you don't meet, that's $1,000 cash to him. So, and he tells us, don't try to talk to him. Don't say anything to him before you go on stage. Don't be on stage messing with your equipment before he goes on. He hates that. Okay. So he comes into the dressing room, and we left the dressing room. And he kind of nodded like he knew we were the band. And we're waiting by the stage, and all of a sudden... He's on stage. They, don't have the, they still have the work lights on, on stage. Just an aside, they had a sort of an opening act for him, even though it wasn't stated, which was Roseanne. Well, I said I was mad because not one men's magazine has approached me to do a nude layout, ever. Who was then known as uh, Roseanne Arnold. What? Yeah, Roseanne from the TV show. She did her stand-up act. And Tom Arnold, who was then her husband, did a little bit during the show as well. Kind of weird. Um, yeah. So all of a sudden, Chuck Berry is on stage. Now, he's still got the guitar in the case. He walks on stage. He opens the guitar case. He's straightening out the strap. It's all twisted up. He's got this guitar cord that, you know, it's like a $5 guitar cord. It's all twisted. And people are just going nuts because all of a sudden it's like, what the, you know, what the hell? He's out there. We all walk up, and like I say, he was in a good mood. So he was really nice to us. But he did all the stuff that you've heard about. He told, Robert met him before we played. Walked up to his car. He was driving a white Lincoln or something. And introduced himself, said, I'm in the band, but I won't be playing tonight because I'm, I'm a guitar player. And Chuck Berry was really nice to him and said, listen, just tell the guys, watch me for the, for the stops and don't play any fills, and everything will be okay. But he, you, know, you get on stage, he doesn't tell you what song, he doesn't tell you what key, he just starts playing, and you got to be able to follow him. But he was in a good mood, he was turning around, he was joking around with us, making little comments about the crowd and about how the show was going. And, you Can you know, think you, any of the comments he said? Oh, after about the fourth song, he walks back to the drum riser. He grabs a towel. He looks at me. He says, what was that? Three? Four? Three? And I said, well, I think it was four, Chuck. And he says, 
Well, that's four they got for nothing. They're going to pay for the rest of these. <laughs> he broke a string during the show, and Robert had his guitar there. So he played Robert's guitar while Robert changed the string on his. Because, you know, he travels with no road crew or anything. He was perfectly willing to stand there changing the string and talking into the microphone while he did it. But so he played Robert's guitar. There's photographic evidence of this. Um, and I'm proud to say that when he left, he left the, remaining, the remainder of the package of strings on the drum riser, and I've got them. Wow. So I have Chuck Berry's set of guitar strings, which uh, it was interesting what because... Was um, I think they were they were either Ernie Balls or Diodarios. And it was interesting, though, because, you know, some people refer to strings by the gauge of the string, and other people just call it by which note on the guitar it would be. And he was obviously set up so that he doesn't need roadies because he had written on the strings, which were labeled by gauge, skinny E. B, G, so that he could turn to a stagehand and say, I need a G string, or I need a skinny E, and they could bring it out from his package of strings, which I thought wow. was kind of interesting. Anyway. And you had the package with his writing on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the night, we're off on the side of the stage. I also got to meet a guy who, he's not a legend or anything, but it was kind of neat for me, a guy named Jewel Aiken who had a hit. He's a, he's a one-hit wonder guy from the 60s. He had a hit called The Birds and the Bees. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above and a thing called And I was standing there, and there was somebody with him who turned to me and said, you know who this guy is? This is Jewel Aiken. And I turned to him and I went, oh, wow, the birds and the bees. And he was obviously really pleased that somebody knew who he was. Anyway, some people got pictures taken with Chuck Berry. I did not. But while we were tearing down, the stage manager says, well, here's what happened. Chuck Berry came out of the dressing room and he walked up to the promoter and said, there's no running water in the dressing room. And the promoter said, is that a problem, Chuck? And he said, can you read? And the promoter says, well, is that a problem? Because it was in the contract, running water in the dressing room. And the stage manager said to the promoter, just give him the money. So the promoter gives him the $1,000 cash that he's owed because there was something in the contract rider that hadn't been met. And Chuck Berry's standing there and he's just kind of, he's holding the money in his right hand by the end and kind of flipping it against his left palm. And he says, so, how's the festival been going? The promoter says, well, Chuck, to tell you the truth, been kind of a tough year. We had a lot of rain, so we had to cancel some things and the attendance has been off. And Chuck Berry takes the money and hands it back to him and says, eh, you should just keep it then. So the whole thing to him, I think, is a game. You know, this is just his way of getting control out of everything. And going on stage when nobody's ready is just a way of getting everybody focused on him, that it's his show, 
And what can you say? I mean, the guy invented our idea of rock and roll guitar playing. So it's still just an enormous thrill for me that I got to do that. So thanks, Robert, for setting it up. Thanks, Robert. And thanks, Ben, for sharing that story about one of my favorite musicians of all time, Chuck Berry. I don't think I've heard that in-depth version of it before, but that's spectacular. Um, what a great, what a great story. Um, did you have any particular song that stood out that night that you guys that you thought you guys were all hitting on real well? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of what he does, he knows exactly what the crowd's there to see. So he can kind of play however he wants to, which is why he had been known, you know, he doesn't play that much anymore, but he was always known for, he'd play kind of sloppy and he'd blame the band and he could do it. As long as he eventually did the duck walk, everybody was happy. And a lot of, this whole show was good, but a lot of it was like that. He just does it the way that he's always done it. And somebody yelled out for Maybelline. first hit that he had and he made a comment about how old it was but when he played that song I felt like I was like sitting in the middle of the record while I was playing it it was the one one of two songs that he played where it was like he was really really playing and it just it just had the sound he did that and he did a blues tune a 12 slow 12 bar blues called mean old world um, and those were the two things where it was like it wasn't really about the show. It was more about the, the song and the playing. Ben, we're way, way, way over time, but thank you so much for being on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. It's been awesome to catch up with you. Oh, it's great uh, to see you. Uh, yeah, it's great to see you too. Again, thanks to uh, Grand Central here and in St. Paul here for having us here for a beer and a coffee. And uh, go check out the April Fool's record. What's, what's your Facebook or website that people can get a hold of you? Um, we, have a, we do have a Facebook page, which is just the April Fool's, and there's a website, which is theaprilfools.net. Okay. Um, so for our story behind the song segment to end this out, um, should we play you singing on the Raunchy Talk record? You could do that. It's on my iPod, and somebody put it on just because they hadn't ever, they were trying to find something they didn't know when I was at work. I walked into the room, and that was playing. I was like, what? Oh, my God. Afar must have been our 2007 or 2008 release of Mark Sterry and the Whiskey Roses, Raunchy Tonk Record, a song where Ben Kaplan sang Lee Vocals, Friday Night Baby, <laughs> and I wrote this song sitting at Washington Square in White Bear Lake, I don't know, on a napkin, and then I just thought Ben's voice fit You were it. sitting on a napkin? Oh, sitting in a bar in White Bear Lake, <laughs> you wrote it on, it, on sorry. a napkin, I, think. I don't know. Um, and I thought Ben's voice would fit, and I think you did it like in one take or two takes. And I hired a piano guy. I met at the wedding. It's kind of a funny song, but yeah, it's it's uh, that's a good one though. But uh, thanks, Ben, for being on the Mark Steering Music Podcast, and we'll catch up soon, man. Great.
Thanks for tuning in to the one-year anniversary show of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you would like to become a patron by contributing $1, $2, or whatever a month to continue bringing you great guests, keeping all the content free, helping with equipment costs, hosting fees, etc., please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Starry Music Podcast. Every little bit helps, and thanks. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It can be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. Shoes, cause my